Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we'll be exploring the theme of love in Star Wars. And in fact, this will be our last Star Wars episode, at least for now. Yeah, we, we may do other episodes in the future, depending on what other content is put out. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Probably we'll do at least special episodes. Yeah, but we're taking it out of our normal rotation of series and themes. And don't fear, just because Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are, are up for now, we still have many more topics for the other three series that are left. So those aren't coming out of rotation anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> But before that, we're going to talk about love in Star Wars. And to get us started for that, we are going to share a quote from The Empire Strikes Back. And these are the final words between Leia and Han before he's frozen in carbonite. (laughs) Oh, nobody knows what we're talking about. Mm -mm, No. I love you. I know. (laughs) You should see his annoying face right now. (laughs) This is why we do an audio format for these episodes. But yes, this is obviously a classic line. But I'll be honest, I actually prefer the second time it's used. (laughs) When Leia uses it. And And Han says, I know. Yeah. No, Han says, I love you. And Leia says, I know. Mm -hmm. In The Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Not only do I think it's... It's, like, a nice callback, and mm-hmm. but, like, I think it also says more about the characters. Like, Leia saying I love you is really just her professing her love. It's, you know, as he's about to die, they've been flirting and into each other this whole time, but now she's saying, like, I love you. I, I'm not just... I don't have as much disdain for you as I appear to most of the time. Exactly. <laughs> um, but in Return of the Jedi, she's wounded... And there's a stormtrooper behind Han and she pulls out a gun and that's what makes him say, I love you. And it's just like, it's showing like how much he can trust her and how competent she is and how much he admires that. It's not just like a profession of love, but it's actually like sparked by something she's doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she's also very clever to throw it back in his face. Oh, absolutely. When I'm shot, I will throw things back in your face too, Chris. Yes. <laughs> Just when you're shot, though, because you never throw things in my face otherwise. No, of course not. My annoying face, apparently. <laughs> hey, you don't have to look at your face expressions, Chris. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting quote. It is so iconic. But at the same time, it's like, it's kind of sad. Like, if those were your last words and he actually did die, rude. <laughs> totally. And I think he ad-libbed them. I think Harrison oh, Ford Oh, he totally did, them. yeah. Um, and they kept acting, which was good on everyone else. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I, they probably all saw how iconic it was yeah. and, and how well it done, done it was, but... Yeah, it's also not a nice way of responding. (laughs) (laughs) It does, like, Han Solo was already a kind of potent character, but it it just took that to another level. Totally, yeah. But, yeah, it's an interesting quote. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it because of those elements, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I definitely enjoy it in Return of the Jedi when it's it's brought back. Absolutely, and I think that that's helpful, too, because it makes it so that it's not just... A woman being emotional and a man being stoic and strong and and this kind of 
gross tropey kind of way of, of representing them by twisting it and making it the opposite. I think it helps to yeah. level or it Or like women fall for men, but men don't want to be tied down or, you know, whatever. Exactly. Sort of. Yeah. All that nonsense. Yeah. And I mean, it's really the best love quote from the most successful couple in Star Wars, which is pretty sad. <laughs> 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 yes yes so let's talk about some other characters or maybe them i don't know what character did you have to bring to discuss love and star wars yeah so i decided i wanted to go with luke okay because i think he's a little bit of an odd one when it comes to love i think he's a bit all over the place we have in a new hope he seems more sad when Obi-Wan dies than when his aunt and uncle died mm. or were murdered. It were basically his parents his entire life. I mean, nothing really seems that sad about either, but it, it at least has a, a couple moments of, of him sitting there sad. Before uh, he goes and yahoos in the yeah. turret seat. Yeah, and then yeah. kills some people. And then he's also able to keep his head after Biggs is blown up at the end of that movie. His oldest friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he's he's able to kind of keep his head in those emotionally traumatic events, you know. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to Vader telling him that he's his father, he gets like so, so upset. The longest no ever. Well, until they brought it back with Vader doing that. That's true. Uh, which is an even longer, possibly worse <laughs> no. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just interesting. And I think that I'm not sure how love plays into those different interactions, but it seems like he is able to get kind of attached quickly hmm. to people, but not necessarily in the form of love, but in the form of expectations. Hmm. And so he is all disappointed when Han is going to leave at the end of A New Hope. He's known for like 12 hours. Exactly. <laughs> he, he's literally known him for 12 hours. He knows he's a smuggler and didn't want to do anything. He only saved the princess because she has money. And like, he knows virtually nothing about him except that he doesn't really care, mm-hmm. you know. And then for him to be all disappointed or even expect him that he would help when it's y'all are gonna get blown up you know uh it's just it's it's interesting and he also gets very attached to the rebellion suddenly and then by the end of the trilogy he is convinced that vader won't kill him or won't turn him over to the emperor he just suddenly believes in him and so yeah it's kind of odd that he gets attached in certain ways so quickly Mm -hmm. but then other people that he grew up with he knew his entire life he is less emotionally affected by those losses then once we get to the sequel trilogies he leaves everyone he loves by the time of the force awakens partially maybe to protect them if that's the way he's looking at it Mm but yeah he left them all behind and is just living by himself on this little island 
And so, yeah, he's just, he's a little all over the place. And I do appreciate that he doesn't have any romantic love interests. I mean, I mean, I guess besides his sister. <laughs> that was the only one that he had. And he doesn't need to end up with someone, which is so common, I think, for a main character in a series. So I, I do really appreciate that. But um, yeah, I, I thought he would be interesting to talk about. Absolutely, yeah. I know that in the original canon, the, the expanded universe books and stuff, I think that he oh, got with yeah. Mara Jade. No, totally. But I, who I, I hear like is it. an awesome character in the books, but I've never read those. I, I can't sure. say. Sure, I, I I like it better than not because like why do you why does everyone need to end up with someone they they don't you yeah. know like in a romantic way? Yeah, for sure. As you were talking, though, I think for the first time I was also thinking about how maybe his kind of quick attachments in A New Hope are, and, and even into his later attachment to Vader, but are because he has lived a life of fleeting attachment. Like, he, his, he wasn't raised by his parents. He was orphaned. And so he had family who was raising him, family that didn't necessarily tell him everything. And then he lost his friend, he lost his uncle and aunt, and he lost his mentor within the span of, like, a day. I mean, he also had a mentor for, like, two days, but... Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm saying, like, why he, like, first latched on to Obi-Wan and then on to Han and to Leia and to the Rebellion so quickly is because, you know, maybe he subconsciously was felt like he lost everything already and that he needed to, to have something that he kind of was grabbing onto because he was was still a 18 year old boy you know mm -hmm. he was still so young or maybe he has some sort of like complex where he needs to feel needed mm -hmm. or something and he could feel needed by obi-wan because obi-wan said that we do need you yeah exactly <laughs> and he could fall into the bad trope of i have to save the princess mm -hmm. and he could have to pilot because they need another good pilot to bring down the Death Star and yeah to yeah. feel important which if that is you know if we're going with that reading of his character makes it even more kind of significant that he did leave everyone behind by the Force Awakens. Yeah uh, at least original trilogy Luke was decades before Harry Potter had a saving people thing <laughs> <laughs> that could sometimes get him into trouble. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's very Luke. That's that's interesting. Yeah, a good character to bring up. Well, what about plot? What plot do you have for us to talk about? I want to talk about the love between L three and Lando in Solo. Mm -hmm. Um, and some things I think are interesting with that retcon because L three is coded as female, though she is a droid. Yeah. Um, they use female pronouns for her, which is not common with droids. Droids typically use male pronouns, which is also a very weird thing that... Yeah. I don't know if we got into that in our gender we episode. Did. We did, yeah. yes. <laughs> we should have. But not only is she coded as female, but they explicitly have kind of, at times, jokes about the idea of a romantic relationship between L3 and Lando where she says that she thinks that he's in love with her and it would never work, but it is played off for laughs and kind of insinuating that she actually has feelings or, or what have you. But I find it as actually much more than just this joke of, of the odd couple kind of thing. For one, I think that it, it brings up really interesting dynamics of if we 
admit that droids have sapience, which they do, yeah. at least some droids, then it would make sense that there would be love and affection and at times romantic love between people and droids. So I think that having that on screen even hinted at is is interesting, but it's also really tragic what happens to them because she ultimately dies saving his life or her physical form is destroyed saving his life. Mm -hmm. And then she is put into the Millennium Falcon's computing system because yeah. she has all these hyperdrive lanes memorized. And that's why the Millennium Falcon is the ship that can do the Kessel Run in however many parsecs, because she has these codes that can get them through it. So not only is the, the tragedy of her sacrificing her life to save him, but still having a, a kind of personhood continuing on. But then, at the end of Solo, Han wins yeah. the Falcon from Lando. And it's kind of portrayed in a way of like, and this is how Han gets the Falcon. Yeah. Just like we all knew and loved in the original trilogy. Mm. But it's kind of a jerk move by Han. Because yes, the Falcon is a beautiful ship. Yes, Han is good at flying it, her. A beautiful ships slash a hunk of junk. True, that yeah. too. But the Falcon also has a relationship with Lando. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think there's interesting narrative aspects of how now we see a little bit more of the ways that droids, though they are sapient or can be sapient, that they are objectified and commodified mm -hmm. in the Star Wars universe because she loses her own body, but that doesn't mean that she loses her identity, her personhood, and... It doesn't mean that she doesn't continue to exist. And if she continues to exist in the Falcon, then her relationship with Lando should continue to exist as well. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, it is a jerk move. It's, it's very tragic that what the audience sees as, oh, Lando gets his comeuppance because he's not able to cheat at this game and Han's able to win the Falcon from him, is also Lando's not just cheating because it's a good way of making money, but if he's putting the Falcon on the line, it's also ensuring that he can keep the person who, at that point at least, we see seemingly as the most important person to him. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think cheating is like sort of a part of that game. It's not like against the rules. If you can get away with it, you can get away with it. Got it. But it does change things. I didn't love the idea of putting her into the Millennium Falcon just because I'm like sometimes people do that in a way to make things not die you know mm -hmm. in in stories but yeah I don't know like what what does it mean is that what L3 would have wanted mm -hmm. because it is kind of taking her voice away it's taking her agency away to some degree or completely I, I'm not sure but I mean who knows maybe Lando, if he had kept the Falcon, would have engineered a way for it to hook up something so that it, she can speak again. And maybe Han just never cared. I mean, this is where we get into some of the problems when you're retconning things. Yes, absolutely. Um, I will say there is an interesting story in the Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view anthology mm. that engages with these kinds of discussions a little bit oh. um, that I'd recommend people to read. That's cool. Yeah. 
so yeah, I just, I think that that's a really interesting relationship and love that we see on screen because we see it as a fully formed relationship. Mm-hmm. When we enter their lives in Solo, they already have this relationship mm-hmm. and they already have this love and they treat each other lovingly. And she ultimately makes this sacrifice as a act of love for mm-hmm. him. Which I also appreciate that, yeah, it's an established relationship mm-hmm. rather than two people meet each other and they've known each other for a couple of days and now they like each other, you know, sort of. Totally. Sort of they thing. seem to have been traveling together for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not anymore because Han Solo won. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, I think that that ultimately becomes one of the most tragic stories even though it's a side story that's often played for laughs in this side movie well and even if it wasn't a romantic love Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter it's your friend exactly yeah yeah and and i jerk han we started (laughs) this episode talking about how he's a jerk and now he's a jerk again yeah absolutely well, why don't we just move into our compelling questions? Sure. So my question for you is, where do you see realistic or unrealistic love happening in the Star Wars movies? Good question. I think that one of the things that you brought up with with Luke and his father is an interesting place because, you know, I, I grew up with both parents in my life. Um, So I don't know what it would be like to live without a parent and to be raised without a parent. But I see many stories where children who are not raised by their actual parents are... I mean, actual parents is problematic term. Biological parents are really affected by that. And the desire to get to know or connect with or learn about their biological parents can be a driving force for them. So I can kind of... I guess, say that maybe Luke's desire to connect with Vader and his faith in him is part of that kind of trope, which doesn't make it a good thing, but just kind Mm -hmm. of puts into context of how this is a well-used narrative idea. But then I think that the Force kind of complicates it because the Force is so ambiguous, especially in that original trilogy, that the idea that he can feel things about his father. He can feel that there's still good in him. He can feel these things that the audience can't feel, (laughs) that the audience can only trust that he feels. And maybe that's something that we shouldn't trust. It makes it so that, yeah, this kind of idea of it being realistic or unrealistic, you know, again, I can't speak from experience, but I think it interestingly navigates that line um, because there are not only circumstances that I can't connect with personally, but also magic (laughs) (laughs) yeah well and for all luke to know about this person is that they're a tyrant Mm -hmm. (laughs) and mass murderer and then to be like there's good in him i know what he's gonna do it's just you don't even hardly know anything about the force luke (laughs) (laughs) how do you know maybe he could be manipulating (laughs) you to feel that way uh yeah the the actual things that you've done with him are you saw him kill your mentor he killed a number of your Mm co-pilots and tried to kill you he tortured your friends he tortured your friends he cut off your hand Mm -hmm. and yes he was building a strong case for (laughs) good in him i can turn him back (laughs) 
hubris, Luke. Yes, absolutely hubris. <laughs> <laughs> like, I appreciate intellectually the idea of not just thinking that people are lost causes. Absolutely. And that there's no point to try or give people opportunities. But you can give someone opportunity without going to meet them and be like, hey, let's talk. Oh, you're taking me to the emperor. Whoops. Exactly. You, you don't have to aid and abet them mm-hmm. in the bad things that they are doing. Yeah. 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 Oh, Luke. Oh, Luke. Luke, Luke, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. The love story between Anakin and Padme. It's just the most realistic thing you've ever seen. So realistic. That dialogue, it's just (laughs) straight out of our mouths. And the idea, I I, I guess it's, there's an element that like, they're both prodigies in a certain way. They're both, you know, she is someone who is likely for people with the biological aspects of humanity is among the youngest people to be in those kinds of positions of queen and senator and stuff like that. Sure, but like... Do you love someone for their talents? (laughs) I mean, there might be shared experiences there that both of them were, had these exceptional childhoods. But also I think that the like idea that, oh, they met when he was nine and she was 14 and he fell in love with her. And they also still only knew each other for like three days until he started his Jedi training. And, you know, he held a torch for her ever since. And that it only took a week of them hanging out again and yeah. going on an adventure to have them both create entirely secret and for him, I don't know if it's blasphemous, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> not allowed relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I can see why he likes her. Yeah, Natalie Portman's awesome. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense why she would like him. <laughs> like, he's acting like a child, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And sure, he's still supposed to be fairly young, but, like, he's just whining and and throwing a little tantrum. And that's really know? interesting because their, their kind of shared prodigy experiences shaped her into a more mature person for her age and him into a less mature person for his age. I mean, woman versus a man. Yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, one's, that one's definitely unrealistic. Absolutely. What do you think about Leia and Han breaking up? I know that it's portrayed in the media a lot of something tragic happens to a kid and then the parents break up and i don't know how based in fact that actually is Mm. if that is a trend i mean a lot of couples break up anyway right uh like half so i could imagine it wouldn't help the odds Yeah, yeah and and i think a lot of the media that we do see that represented throw out these, like, statistics of, like, oh, 75% of couples who lose a child end within a couple years or something like that. Like, it's just, you know, I don't know how true any of those statistics are, Mm -hmm. but it makes sense that that would bring a lot of difficulties into into a relationship. I think that it, it makes sense for me that they would break up, but the one thing I don't like is how they haven't spoken and how Han has basically avoided her for what seems like many years. Mm-hmm. Well, like he just like went back to smuggling, mm-hmm. like doesn't care about other things anymore. I don't know. It was a little odd to me. It was. And yeah, it just, it made me think that there 
is probably a lot more to be explored there for one but also like i can i did appreciate the like scene and a half that we got of them just being friendly and like still having care for each other even they don't want to be together for whatever their their history brings and you know i could have really appreciated seeing more of a friendship between the two of them Mm -hmm. in this last series that we weren't able to see because for narrative reasons they wanted to be able to introduce these characters one at a time and have them be separate and then have losses in each movie and, and this other kinds of stuff yeah and it's a little weird too to me that neither of them are with anyone else mm. what's the likelihood that neither of them would have gotten remarried or have some other partner for shorter or longer term you know mm-hmm. yes i don't know it's like that they wanted them to not be together so that there would be a reason for him to be a smuggler i guess but they didn't want to have them with anyone else either it's either them together or them with no one yeah there's a lot more that that could be explored there of what their lives were like together and then what their lives were like apart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. was there anything else you were thinking of yeah i was also thinking about in general with the exception of solo like we were talking about that has a few already established relationships mm-hmm. by the time we enter the the film i think all of the Star Wars movies, like, everything is, like, way too rushed. The Rose and Finn thing. Like, I love Rose as a character, but that was the part that just felt very forced. Like, what? Absolutely. I don't understand. And then Ray feeling like Han could be, like, a, a parent figure or whatever. It's like, again, you've known each other for two days. Those types of things, it just feels very forced. And especially when it... Forced? <laughs> the forced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when I think you have someone like Ray who's been on her own for so long. Would she just be instantly trusting of people? You mm-hmm. know, I, I wouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was also thinking about just in a vast galaxy that, you know, can actually all interact. You only really have cishet humanoid relationships with maybe the exception of, of L3 and Lando. Yeah, that, that that doesn't make sense to me. Like, that's unrealistic for a galaxy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we get that one kiss in The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Which bugged me more than if it wasn't in there at all. <laughs> it's just like, oh. You can just watch the Chinese version. <laughs> yeah, it's just, we're, we're giving you representation. <laughs> oh, is that what you're doing? Yeah. No. But what about you? What is your compelling question for me? You and I have talked a lot about, off mic, how love is an action, love is a verb. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering what acts of love you see in Star Wars. Well, I mean, as we were talking about with Luke, albeit maybe foolishly done, trying to believe that someone can make a different choice than the other choices that they've made up Mm. until this point is a loving act and a difficult loving act which which i appreciate that idea a lot you also see chewy going and searching for c-3po when he disappears in cloud city yeah and then spending the time after he's been tortured then spending energy and time to put him back together again when c-3po has not been very kind to chewbacca (laughs) or anyone (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
I think you do see an interesting relationship between C-3PO and R2-D2 where they're at each other's throats a lot of the time. Mm. But it's like, oh, what about that R2 unit and all of that? Yeah. I think everything that the characters from Rogue One do Mm. to get these plans out in the hopes that it could help the rest of the galaxy even though they know that it's a suicide mission yeah that's love and commitment <laughs> what were you thinking about yeah a lot of the ones that you you brought up and I, and I do think that star wars tends to put like sacrifice as one of the ways that love is shown mm-hmm. um you know l3 as i talked about before um i think another one's like holdo sacrificing herself mm-hmm. but i also appreciate the times when love is shown in a way that is less sacrificial and even less kind but more about telling someone what they need to hear Mm -hmm. i mean an example is leia demoting Mm poe and saying you are losing lives and you are not thinking about the whole which you need to do if you're going to become a leader Mm mm-hmm Similarly, I was thinking of Yoda visiting Luke in The Last Jedi. He tells him failure is the greatest teacher. And those books that you think are important aren't important. And helping him to, yeah, hear the things that he needs to hear to himself do something that's sacrificial. Yeah. The last one I I was thinking of was Obi-Wan taking Anakin and taking him as his Padawan. Mm. Which I felt was not only a act of love to Anakin, but also to Qui-Gon. Because for most of the movie, Obi-Wan is disagreeing with Qui-Gon about the ways that he does things against the wishes of the Council, and Mm -hmm. that he feels that he knows best. And Obi-Wan taking Anakin on as a Padawan is him, in his first act as a full Jedi Knight, also continuing in that, that vein. Because it happens at the end of a movie, and then we jump so far afterwards, we don't really take the time to see how difficult a decision that probably was mm-hmm. and the ramifications of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You yeah. you appreciate the the telling off in love because you're with me. <laughs> I've experienced <laughs> it so much myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I also if, if we're thinking of like actions, mm-hmm. I'm also just thinking about Rose crying after her sister's been mm. killed. Yeah, it's the the only time we really see that. I think we mentioned that in in our our death episode or loss episode. But um, yeah, and an act of grief is an act of love, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, why don't we go into our missed opportunities? Yeah, so something that I was thinking about is just that, like, we never really see a lot of community or philanthropic love in in the movies or or the shows really and it's like in a world where we do see a lot of injustices happening and things like that it's like where are the nonprofits? where are the aid (laughs) organizations where are the orphanages like why did reg grow up in the way she grew up where are like community groups and and do different communities have love for certain things, whether it's, it's a religion, whether it's a form of art, you know? Do the arts even exist in, in the world of Star Wars? We have something like the Cantina Band, mm. but 
they're not like beloved in the community that we see anything of and so yeah I, I just I feel like that's missing and and since the movies and even the shows are so centered around I think action and war they become flatter yeah because unless you venture into the books which are possibly canonical possibly not canonical you know you you really don't get to see other types of love other ways that love can be expressed in a society and and even the books probably most of those are still going to center around war and action yeah i think that that making things flat is a good way of putting it making it so that communities are so themselves themselves so flat that you can't see these more nuanced but also more everyday forms of love and and relationship um you know it even goes to the oh every location is oh this is the ice world this is the <laughs> ocean world this is the city world yeah and when you're in the city world for example the plate you know you're on coruscant and you're seeing the most people that you'll ever see and you're down in the lower reaches where the non-elites live we just see it as like cd bars we don't see street art we mm -hmm. don't see like you said like yeah philanthropic organizations you know we don't really see any of that so um yeah i think that's a really interesting point something that could be such a great venue for further exploration mm -hmm. i mean yeah imagine the amazing types of artistic expression that can happen with so many different species of beings and yeah you have droids you could literally just manufacture a certain number of droids and like you know i mean again if we want to talk about agency droids aren't paid or anything like that that's, right. that's a separate conversation but they could help take care of some orphans you know mm. it's just yeah I, I i don't know i feel like things are just like left to whatever more than makes sense for not even just a world but like a galaxy and i think yeah the, the closest we even get to kind of like a religious love would be with chirut and, mm. and him being a monk and then there's the the planet where darth maul is from and they kind of have some sort of religious order it seems like and, and community but yeah it's it's few and far between and even when we see it it, it I don't know how much love you feel because it's kind of a side thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I think that those are also some of the best episodes of Clone Wars where we see mm -hmm. what it's like for yeah Darth Maul to have a brother. Yeah. A and what it's like for Asajj Ventress to have a relationship with Mother Talzin. And yeah, for them to build communities in ways that are biological, if not through experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that. Those are really interesting elements, and Dathomir is probably one of my favorite places that <laughs> has been explored, and that I love when they do other explorations for. Mm. Yeah, but what is your missed opportunity? Yeah, I think kind of touching on what you were saying earlier about how we essentially see humanoid cishet relationships, mm -hmm. it's just that we don't take advantage of this galaxy and the ways that we can see non-traditional forms of, of love and romantic love in particular. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, sure, Lando and L3, but outside of that, I, I mean, Lando himself, I, I know that Donald Glover, I think, had said in interviews that, like, he saw him as a pansexual person. And he was certainly a 
sensuous person, a flirtatious, mm-hmm. flirtatious person uh, mm-hmm. with everyone, including Han, you know, and, yeah. and that's, I think, really interesting. But do we see any polygamy? Do we see any queer I mean, relationships? Entire societies, entire species that interact differently with these things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I, right now I'm reading the Lilith Brood series by Octavia Butler, and she... Yeah, you really, this series about exploring ideas of gender and sexuality and relationship. Um, and even she, you know, could do more, but she does so much more than Star Wars does. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that's, that's unfortunate. I think another interesting way it could have been expressed is in The Jedi, where we basically see precepts that love can lead to ideas of loss, which can lead to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of attachment is frowned upon. But what does love look like outside of that? Does that mean that there have been people who have kind of practiced a radical form of polygamy that has allowed them to still have relationships, but ones in which there are isn't those kinds of attachments. And so they're able to have loving relationships in a way that's very different from the way that we think of love that still follows in lines with Jedi precepts. Or is there an ace Jedi who is... <laughs> I don't know what y'all are complaining about. Exactly. <laughs> but um, I mean romantic. But then, yeah, right? has romantic mm-hmm. a- aspects. And I guess it would be an aromantic person. It's just like, why? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I know. All these, I think, are interesting <laughs> yeah. things that could be explored within the confines of a community that have these very kind of explicit values and, and rules. Or just like a breaking off a new sect of of Jedi that are like, we're not going to do things the same way. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, you know, are there other species that are non-human that have different relationships with uh, romance or sex that tie into those codes in ways that, yeah, maybe make them problematic? You know, we also don't just see interspecies relationships. We don't see people having children if they're if they're able to have children that's not even discussed uh, and to build families uh, biologically so yeah i think that there's just a lot more to be explored that at least in certainly in the movies and in the expanded universe content that i've come across hasn't been mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well like we did with our last lord of the rings episode Instead of doing a takeaway from this conversation specifically, we want to do kind of a takeaway for the Star Wars property that we spend so much time with as a whole with our podcast. So I think mine is that before doing this podcast, Star Wars was something that, you know, had a lot of nostalgia for me. I mean, mainly the original trilogy, but it was not something I really analyzed that much. And I think doing this podcast and having Star Wars be one of the properties, it's it's really forced me to take harder looks at this series. Yeah. And, you know, for better or worse, I think there's some interesting things that have come up that I just hadn't thought about. And that can enrich the experiences. You know, I watch the movies in the future or whatnot. But also, I think it was able to to show shortcomings. And, mm-hmm. and not that I didn't know some existed or whatnot. But yeah, just take a more critical look at what the narrative is doing and, and what messages are being driven home. And I think I would never have really thought about colonialism 
and this kind of being a colonist narrative mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot of ways had we not done this podcast. And so, yeah, I'm thankful for some of the insights because especially when you liked something when you were a kid and, you, and I mean, <laughs> it came out in the 70s, you know, um, it, sometimes we don't go back and analyze or, or take note if you know, what things are doing well and what things, you know, it's not doing well. And so yeah. that's, yeah, made me, made me think about those things more. Yeah, I think similarly, of all the properties that we've engaged with, Star Wars has been the one who's helped me take my consumption and fandoms more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that I myself will think about things more and more deeply, but also that I will start holding the things I'm a fan of to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that similarly because it, it does have so much nostalgia for me and it's so tied to something that I, you know, I can't remember when I watched Star Wars for the first time. I've always known Star Wars. Yeah. Um, which is also why, at least for me and for, I think, a lot of our society, I, I kind of am seeing Star Wars as like a modern myth where... It takes in not necessarily components of answering questions about our world or things like that, but just having these kinds of legendary stories, these epics that are foundational texts to the ways that culture and people interact. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Star Wars has become that. So I think my, my biggest takeaway is seeing how that myth serves society in interesting ways but how it also can be limiting when it isn't taken seriously Mm -hmm. well and when it's taking things from the 70s and just kind of continuing them instead of actually making them better deeper more responsible then it kind of does a disservice to the culture in in my opinion absolutely yeah i will say though I, i this is something that that i think i mentioned a few times particularly early in our recordings but i really am still feeling how great of a sandbox star wars is where star wars leaves so many gaps in its world building that there's a lot there that we can fill in in interesting ways as fans and as active community members like i've talked about you know playing rpgs uh where you get to build characters and stories together in the universe those are still I think Star Wars still excites me in those ways because it, you know, like mythology, is less about giving you historical facts and figures and and ideas and more about telling a story and letting that story and its interpretation be a active process between the teller and the listener and one that doesn't have to end or be codified. And I appreciate that about Star Wars. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a lot of fun talking about Star Wars with you, (laughs) but next week we'll be continuing our rotation. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll be discussing when we discuss Harry Potter next week? We are going to be looking at the series through the theme of justice. Wonderful. Justice in Harry Potter next week. Well, thank you again for listening to this and all the Star Wars episodes that we put on. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description. We also encourage you to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. Thank you so much to all of those who are already supporters of our show. It really means a lot. Thank you also to Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. 
You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.